coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field. It's the Derek Izzy Show. <laughs> Welcome to the Derek Izzy Show. I am the aforementioned Mr. Izzy, and this episode celebrates one year of the Derek Izzy Show being online, live, and catered for you. As a special thank you, I'd like to thank our title sponsor of the show right now. It is a company called Uber, U-B-E-R.com. If you need a ride, no matter where you are, as long as you're in a big city, they have Uber. It's a free download to your cell phone. You just download the app, and then you can use it wherever you are where Uber is active. If you need a ride somewhere, you just click on the app. It sends a message to the closest driver, lets you know how long it's going to take that driver to get to you, usually only a matter of minutes. And it is a discounted rate. Somebody will show up in their own personal vehicle, and they will take you where you need to go safely and securely. No cash is exchanged between you and the driver. Driver does not take your credit card. Your credit card information is stored inside the app, so none of that information is communicated. The app processes everything on its own. All you have to do is click the button to request a ride, type in where you want to go, and hit send, and the driver will come and get you and take you there. If you've never used Uber before, check it out using this discount code. The discount code for the show is 5LX9E, 5LX9E. That will get you a free first ride up to $20 in value. Once again, that is 5L as in liquid, X as in Xerox, 9, and then the letter E as in elephant. Using that discount code lets them know you heard it here on The Derek Izzy Show. Hey, Derek, um, what? What about me? Well, we can't forget you, Moses. Moses Ronald, been with us for a year. Thank you, Moses, for all the great work you do. Yeah, I make all the magic happen behind the scenes. Well, you get all the spotlight and attention. Well, yeah, of course I do. That's my job. I'm the host of the show. And just remember, you did have your own episode. Remember that episode we did, the interview with Moses Ronald, where you had your own spotlight on you, and it turned out to be our lowest rated show of all time. So Yeah, that whole uh, thing's rigged. Yeah. And I demand a recount. (laughs) There are no recounts, Moses. I am sorry about that. But as we look back on the first year of the show, I do have some information to report that our all-time most popular episode is the very first episode we did, the one on the Bender family. It was entitled A New Kind of Family, about the Bender family that terrorized their small town, and it was a very bloody and gory part of American history that you are now educated about, but that show was downloaded three times more than any other episode. In second place... We have a singer suicide. So celebrities were the second most popular topic on the show. 
And in third place, the Airline Rant Show. Comedy in third place. By a very slim margin, one download was all that separated the two of those shows. And it's really amazing when you consider how many total downloads there have been that only one would separate second place and third place. That is our year in review. And now, continuing with the success of that very first podcast, welcome to Bloodbath. Right here in Newtown, Connecticut, the site today of a mass shooting and this time gunfire aimed at elementary school children. We're here in front of the Newtown United Methodist Church where we've watched people gathering all evening long as tonight the details are still pouring in. There are 27 victims, 20 children, 7 adults. We now continue with our coverage of yesterday's tragic school shooting at Olinda High School in Tampa Bay, Florida. That's right, Tracy. Details are still coming in, but uh, here's what we've learned. We know that sophomore Bobby Knowles had a troubled past, including repeated conflicts with teachers, uh, turbulent home life, and three previous school shootings. And he was often described as a loner. Community members are asking the question this morning, could this disaster have been prevented? He was a bit unusual, but I never thought I'd see him do anything like this again. Now, earlier this morning, we spoke by telephone with a student at the school who was a witness to the shootings. He always wore weird clothes, and I guess he shot a bunch of kids a few times. No one really hung out with him. First, there is breaking news now on Fox News Channel. This coming to, to us from Philadelphia, where police tell our local station there has been a shooting there, and that shooting has happened at Delaware Valley Charter High School. Two shot. One male, one female shot in the gym at the school. At this moment, is it, it is unclear to us whether the shots came from inside or outside the school. And frankly, we do not know who is hurt, whether these are students or anyone else. Rob over here, though, has a location for us. This is that school, I guess. Uh, this is that school. All we know is that it happened at the Delaware Valley High School at 5201 Old York Road uh, in Philadelphia. That's really all we know as far as location at this point. This has just come in. It's not in the local newspaper there yet. It's not on the wire services. The, the TV cameras are not up in the air yet. But uh, we have gotten confirmed here on the news deck that a number of people have been shot, that, that we believe at least from the early reporting that the shooting that those who were shot, it happened inside the gym. We begin tonight with the horror playing out near Seattle, Washington, the school shooting, and now we've learned the suspect, a popular high school football player allegedly opening fire in the cafeteria. Tonight, that all-too-familiar view from above, students evacuating, sprinting to safety. And all day today, families huddled, reuniting with their children, a father hugging his daughter after finding her in the crowd of students who got out. Tonight, at least two people have died, one of them the gunman, others taken to the hospital. And ABC's Neil Karlinski is on the scene, leading us off. Early morning, the first call comes in to 911 from someone inside the school. That sickeningly familiar alert. Students with their hands up could be seen running out of Marysville Pilchuck High. Police with guns drawn sweeping inside and checking locked doors. Minutes later, the shooter is reported dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. We start tonight with the story that sent a chill through parents today. Parents who send their kids to school, trusting and hoping that they'll be safe. But in one of those schools, a high school in Ohio today, the worst happened. 
The police say a student opened fire on classmates, leaving one dead and four others wounded, two of them in critical condition. It happened at Chardon High School, 30 miles south of Cleveland. The alleged shooter is a teenage boy said to be in custody tonight. We have late word from law enforcement sources that a day or two ago, he told his classmates something of his plans, but those classmates didn't take him seriously. Good evening, everyone. The reaction of so many people today was, oh, no, not again. Another high school, Columbine High in Littleton, Colorado, this time on the edge of Denver. It has been a horror. The spokesman for the local sheriff's office speaks of as many as 25 fatalities inside the school, the gunman, fellow students who rushed the school and opened fire for reasons we do not know yet, for reasons we may never know. Two of the young killers are dead. The sheriff says it looks like a suicide mission. The sheriff's giving us the first hint of what it was like in there today, very violent inside Columbine High today. It began just before the lunch break. Our first reporter is from ABC's Tom Foreman, who's been at the scene. Eyewitnesses say the two gunmen wearing black trench coats and black masks came in shooting and began working their way through the school. Teachers raced ahead to classrooms, yelling for students to run. Someone pulled a fire alarm. Started coming in the library and opening fire and shooting out bombs. You just feel it shake and the plaster would fall and the books would fall and they came in here and they shot some and then they went back out. People were getting shot all around me. There was a guy at a table right next to us, next to me and her, and they just shot him and then walked away and then he was just sitting there in a pool of blood. As police SWAT teams rushed to the scene, the chaos grew. Some students and teachers locked themselves into rooms and used cell phones to call for rescue. Police pulled people out any way they could, at one point rushing up beneath a second floor window to grab this wounded boy. Another girl was reportedly hit nine times, and the gunman kept shooting. Students who made it out were gradually directed to another nearby school, where terrified parents were sent to find them. And those who had seen the shooting said the gunmen were members of a school gang that was often ridiculed by other students. There you have some news coverage from the deadliest school massacres in U.S. history. However, the deadliest massacre in U.S. history at a school occurred long before there were television cameras. There was no news crew to report this bloodbath. You've heard about the school shooting in Newton, Connecticut, killing 27 people. Well, this massacre in a school killed a total of 45 people. While guns seem to be the predominant weapon of choice, there are other weapons when it comes to committing a massacre. Andrew Kehoe, 55-year-old school board treasurer, was angered by increased taxes as he lost an election in 1926 for township clerk. After suffering this defeat and struggling with some family issues, his wife was ill, she had tuberculosis, he had stopped making mortgage payments and was feeling a lot of pressure from the bank. They were going to foreclose on his property. The medical bills for his wife had gotten out of control. Aggravation of the high taxation in his community and the fact that he could no longer afford to pay his bills that led him over the edge. He started plotting. 
Now let me give you some information on Andrew. He studied electrical engineering at Michigan State College in East Lansing, Michigan. Then he moved to St. Louis. He worked as an electrician. After several years in St. Louis, he decided to return to Michigan. He was married, very dependable, did a lot of volunteer work with his neighbors. Everybody described him as being impatient with anyone who disagreed with him, though. That is key to the series of events that Andrew planned. One of the neighbors tells a story of Andrew Kehoe having shot the neighbor's dog because the dog came onto his property and would not stop barking. He was also known to have beaten one of his horses to death when it did not perform as well as he wanted it to. He had a reputation for being very frugal. He was elected in 1924 as a trustee for three years and treasurer for uh, one year on the school board. He argued endlessly for lower taxes. That was very, very important to him. Hated taxes. I agree with him on that point. He was considered extremely difficult to work with, often voting against the rest of the board just because he wanted his own way on certain issues. He also repeatedly accused the superintendent of financial mismanagement. He argued with township financial authorities trying to get the valuation of his property reduced, claimed that he had paid too much for the farmland that he was using. He also tried to get the mortgage taken off but he was never successful in any of these endeavors. In June of 1926, he was notified that the company was foreclosing on his property. Another neighbor noted that Kehoe had stopped working on his farm altogether after the foreclosure notice and thought that he might be planning to commit suicide. Kehoe gave one of his horses to this neighbor and the neighbor, fearing that suicide was imminent, just returned it. Now, there's no clear indication when Andrew started putting his steps together, leading to this big massacre. But the general consensus is that it happened in early 1926, after he did not get elected, and all of his financial troubles were snowballing into a huge disaster. He started going to the store and buying more than a ton of pyrotol. That's, that's an explosive chemical used by farmers of that time period for excavation and burning of debris. In November of 1926, we know that he bought two boxes of dynamite at a sporting goods store. Now, dynamite was commonly used on farms, so... By purchasing these small amounts of explosives at different stores, nobody thought anything of it. He owns a farm. He's buying explosives. They figured he's just doing the everyday work that people on farms do. A month later, in December 1926, Andrew Kehoe purchased a 30 caliber Winchester bolt-action rifle. Over the course of several months, Kehoe gained access to the school and packed it tight with dynamite. The way he plotted his operation was extremely intelligent. He wired the dynamite together so expertly that after the explosion, investigators could barely believe that he had acted alone. 
He took months and months to get everything together, came up with a meticulous plan to bring down the school and everybody in it. On May 18th, at approximately 8.45 a.m., Andrew Kehoe killed his wife and detonated firebombs in his house and farm buildings. The bombs were so intense, it caused debris to fly into a neighbor's poultry brooding house. Neighbors noticed the fire, and volunteers rushed to the scene. While the rescuers were headed to Kehoe's house, another explosion at the school caught everyone's attention. Everyone began to rush toward the school. The school building had turned into a war zone, with 38 people, mostly children, being killed in the initial explosion. The first grade teacher, Bernice Sterling, told a reporter that the explosion was like an earthquake. She said, it seemed as though the floor went up several feet. After the first shock, I thought for a moment I was blind. When it came, the air seemed to be full of children and flying desks and books. Children were tossed high in the air. Some were catapulted out of the building. The north wing of the school had collapsed. Parts of the walls had crumbled and the edge of the roof had fallen to the ground. Monty Ellsworth, a neighbor of Kehoe's, recounted, There was a pile of children of about five or six under the roof, and some of them had arms sticking out, some had legs, and some just their heads sticking out. They were unrecognizable because they were covered with dust, plaster, and blood. There were not enough of us to move the roof. About a half hour after the initial explosion, Kehoe drove up to the school and saw the superintendent. Kehoe asked him to come over to his truck. At that point, witnesses say the two men struggled over some type of long gun and that the car went up in an explosion, killing the superintendent, Andrew Kehoe, Nelson McFerrin, and Cleo Clayton, an eight-year-old second grader. Clayton, a survivor of the first blast, had wandered out of the school building debris and was killed by the fragmentation from the exploding vehicle. The explosion also mortally wounded the postmaster, Glenn Smith, who lost a leg and died later that day of his wounds. The chaos that ensued after the vehicle blew up was pure hell, according to several witnesses. There was mass confusion, people were running everywhere, After the explosions happened, nobody knew what was going to happen next. Was another building going to blow up? Were there other people involved that were going to come to the scene and kill the remaining survivors? Nobody knew. The bombing at the school had destroyed the North Wing. During an after-explosion search, rescuers found an additional 500 pounds of dynamite which had failed to detonate in the South Wing. The search was halted while the police disarmed the devices. In the end, all the Kehoe farm buildings were destroyed, and the two horses trapped inside the barn died. Investigators found a wooden sign wired to the farm's fence with Kehoe's last message. Criminals are made, not born. After this tragic event, the local community rallied, rebuilt, and rebounded from this tragedy. Today, a plaque at the entrance of the Bath School Memorial Park stands. School resumed on September 5, 1927, but to the survivors, the tragedy 
will never end. The massacre in Bath, Michigan, perpetrated by Andrew Kehoe, killed 45 people and is the deadliest school massacre in U.S. history to date. Some of the other massacres at schools that you may not have heard of have occurred throughout the years, but did not always get the attention of the press that some of the more modern-day massacres have achieved. And they did not always involve guns or bombs. One of the first school massacres that I could find occurred on July 26th in 1764 in Franklin County, Pennsylvania, in a town known as Greencastle, at the Enoch Brown School. Indian warriors entered a log schoolhouse of white settlers. Inside were the schoolmaster and 12 young students. The schoolmaster pleaded with the warriors to spare the children before being shot and scalped himself. The warriors began to scalp and tomahawk the children, killing nine or ten of them, reports vary. Two children who had been scalped actually survived. Ten or eleven killed July 26, 1764. As you think back on the tragedies of today and the memories that we have of the news coverage, or if you've actually lived through one of the many school massacres that have occurred, remember the deadliest massacre in U.S. history in Bath, Michigan, the bloodbath. I'm Derek Izzy, and this is our start to 2015. I want to say thank you to all our sponsors. Uber and Izzy Racquetball. While I didn't mention them at the beginning of the show, go to IzzyRacquetball.com, buy some shoes. It's good stuff. Tune in, tell your friends about the show, and thanks to everyone for listening and allowing us to grow as much as we did in the first year. I look forward to an awesome 2015. Goal of 2015 is to double the number of downloads. So get on it, audience. <laughs>